0: Everybody, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lights Out podcast. I'm your host, Josh. And as always, I've got my brother and producer, Joel, in the studio with me. And today, we are diving back into the paranormal world and we are covering the Enfield Poltergeist case. This is one of those cases that is very controversial. A lot of people do not believe that the Hodgson family was living with a poltergeist in their house. A lot of people are very skeptical about it, but there's also been a lot of investigators. There's definitely a lot of evidence that we got to look at to determine whether or not this is a real haunting or poltergeist that we're dealing with here. And if you're a fan of the conjuring series, this is actually the conjuring Two. they based that movie off of this particular case. And I got to say, I really enjoyed the conjuring too. I thought it was a pretty, pretty freaky movie for sure they definitely uh brought this story to life and it makes me hope that I never have to deal with the poltergeist on my own that's for sure absolutely man the conjuring 2 was so well done and I just love the entire conjuring series in general but they had ed and Lorraine Warren in that movie like very involved with the infield poltergeist case but when, when we were researching this, in reality, they were really only just there for one day. And yeah, we'll course. talk about what they captured later on. But yeah, that was really kind of uh, surprising to see that they, they weren't as involved as I thought they would have been. Yeah, that was that was definitely my thought, too. Is going into it, I thought for sure that Ed and Lorraine were kind of the the leaders on this particular case. But that that wasn't really true, because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this case happens in the UK, actually, so you know it's across the ocean. And obviously, Ed and Lorraine Warren are, are big here in the states, so I think that played into it as well as just the geographic distance. Uh, so they weren't able to be like the first ones kind of on the scene with this one. But uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get into that more later because it's it's definitely very interesting that they seem to be so heavily tied to this case, and in fact, they really didn't contribute that much to it. So. Definitely a very, very interesting point there. And I think ultimately what piqued Ed and Lorraine Warren's like interest into the Enfield Poltergeist case was the fact it was so heavily in the press over there. Yeah. And you know <laughs> during the time, Ed and Lorraine Warren were the ones who like dominated the press with all their cases that they investigated. So, I mean, it made perfect sense why they wanted to go out there and, and see what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, of course, with Ed and Lorraine Warren, they were always wherever you know the big case was breaking and there was headlines about it and news about it because they really tried to you know sort of be the leaders in this field and really tried to make a name for themselves by getting on all the biggest cases so it's very interesting that you know they were you know kind of the leaders with the conjuring series and especially this particular case because they really weren't you know sort of the lead investigators on it but they never make it into the movie so I don't know it's it this is a very interesting one and a very i think a lot of people will have a lot of different thoughts about it and opinions about whether or not they think this case is really happened and this family really was dealing with a poltergeist but before we dive into the infield poltergeist i wanted to first remind everybody that merch is right around the corner i think we'll be able to announce merch in the next week or so so hopefully next episode that will be officially launched we're just finalizing a couple of things and that will be ready to go i'm excited to see you what you think about it and also be sure if you guys are watching the show on youtube only and you're not listening to it on spotify or itunes if you didn't mind going over to itunes or spotify and subscribing or following us that would really help us out because unfortunately in the podcast world youtube doesn't matter and they don't consider any of the numbers on youtube into the overall factor for your show and how well it does so i would greatly appreciate that And also, just to remind you, if you do want to send us a topic suggestion, uh, please feel free to do so at our email address, and I will link that in the description. Yeah, absolutely, because a lot of you guys have some really great ideas, and, you know, when we covered Carl Drew, that actually was a suggestion that somebody made a while back, and I really like tackling things that, you know, other people haven't heard of before, because I think, you know, There is a huge amount of people doing this out there and so a lot of us cover end up covering a lot of the same stuff and obviously I still want to do that but I think it's cool to bring in some new stuff that nobody's ever heard of before so if you got any ideas definitely hit us up because we're definitely interested in looking into some things we may not even know about. and I mean, obviously, as long as there's information about it, it can't be like something that one person has uh, set, talked about before. Right, that's very all the, true. Like, I got to be able to make a whole episode about it. So it's got to have some substance to it. Um, but we would love to know what you want to hear. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by Raycon, the best wireless headphones out there for the money. And I'll tell you more about that later. But let's go ahead and get into the poltergeist of Enfield or the strange happenings of Enfield. Uh, that's the news headline that they had for this particular case. So we're gonna first start out by talking a little bit about poltergeist, because I think a lot of people are confused about what even a poltergeist is, why are we even calling it that name? Or you're just like, what the hell does that even mean? I've never even heard that word before. Isn't a poltergeist just a ghost? Like, what do you what do you mean? What does that what does that mean exactly? So the word poltergeist actually comes from a German word poltern, which means to knock or rumbling spirit, this is just one interpretation. But the history of poltergeist can actually be traced back as far as ancient Roman times. Reports of poltergeist disturbances cite loud noises, lights, smells, physical and sexual assault, telephones ringing, and in general, just unexplained disturbances. Poltergeist or poltergeist activity has been studied extensively by physical researchers and parapsychologists all the way back since the 1890s and I'm sure it goes back even farther than that, especially considering we do have stories written, you know, we've recovered information artifacts and archaeologists have found literally stories that have been written about unexplained disturbances in the past going all the way back to the ancient times. So to me poltergeist or poltergeist activity is definitely a very real phenomenon. And the general consensus is that a poltergeist is some sort of malevolent spirit, or it has, you know, maybe Eve straight evil spirit, or it might have no, you know, negative or positive energy at all. It's completely unidentifiable and it's just something unexplained. We just don't know what it is. What's interesting though is that over this time we have learned a few things about poltergeist. And one of them being that poltergeist activity usually takes place when a particular individual is obviously present, but it usually happens to young teenagers around the puberty phase. And a lot of times these individuals are teenagers because they're going through puberty and just, we were all teenagers once or you are a teenager and you know that you deal with a lot of shit. You know, you got a lot of things going on in your life. There's a lot of changes that are happening. So a lot of us struggle emotionally, mentally, and, this seems to be when poltergeist activity is at its highest is when these young individuals are dealing with these types of issues. But the bottom line with poltergeist activity is that it can start and stop at will. It seems like it can be a few hours long or it can go on for years. There's no real set defined time that poltergeist activity goes on for. So basically what I take away from it and from what I know about poltergeist activity is that a lot of people who study this for a very long time have pretty much come to the conclusion that it is either something paranormal something unexplained you know an evil spirit or just a spirit in general or this is some type of psychokinesis this is something that we are doing without even knowing it like perhaps there's a period of time and based on different factors some even think stress plays into this that we ourselves are capable of creating this type of activity on our own. And it's just a a result of things that happen to us in our life. And it's just a result of that time period. It seems like is the most where a lot of things are happening in the brain. And therefore maybe we are the ones that are actually creating this crazy paranormal activity. That's, that's definitely something to think about, but also there's always a possibility that it's, it's all a hoax that this activity that's being reported is actually being done by the person reporting it. You know, there's always that chance too that somebody's just making this up for whatever reason and that it's just all a bunch of bullshit. But I don't know. That's that's up for you to decide. So let's go ahead and get into the Enfield poltergeist story. So the story begins in 1977 with the Hodgson family, and they're living together in a townhouse located in a quiet suburb on 284 Green Street in Enfield London and their house looks very typical to that area especially London and one of the things that I noticed when I was there was that the architecture is just so different from here in the US it's definitely more historical it's got a lot more flavor I feel like it's more artistic because even though this townhouse is really not fancy there's nothing really you know out of the ordinary that makes it cooler than something else or anything like that it's very plain To me it still looks kind of cool you know like there's not a lot of that type of architecture i feel like here in the us at least out here where you know i live out in the midwest in colorado maybe in new york or somewhere on the east coast you see a lot more of this kind of you know english architecture but for the hodgson family this is a, a pretty nice place and i mean it's not large by any means but it definitely suits their needs so the hodgson family is led by peggy hodgson who at the time of this particular story is 47 years old. She's divorced at the time and she's living in this townhouse with her four children, Margaret, who is 12 years old at the time, Janet, who's 11 years old, Johnny, who's 10 and Billy who's seven. So she's got four kids all living together with her in her townhouse in London. And in order for them to live in this townhouse, Peggy had to work extra long hours. In order to support her family on her own i mean any single mom out there would know that it's it's definitely very very tough to make it and support all of your children but peggy made it happen and for a long time it seemed like everything was completely normal at the house there was nothing strange There was no activity there is nothing that would have even led them to believe that what happens to them next was going to happen at all there was no warning what they were about to be in for. Because on August 30th, 1977, everything changed for the family as they began to experience terrifying, strange, and most of all, unexplainable activity inside their home. On the night of August 30th, Peggy had put Janet and Johnny to bed. She turned off their lights as she always did, and then headed downstairs to the living room to relax before going to bed. So while Peggy's kicking it in the living room, Upstairs is a different story. Janet and Johnny, they're just lying in their beds as they always do. All of a sudden, begin to feel like they're being shaken from side to side inside their beds. Which, as a kid, I can only imagine if any of you out there were scared of the dark or just scared of what's under your bed. Then you can only imagine how terrifying it must have been to be laying there trying to go to sleep And you're literally being shaken in your bed. The bed is moving from side to side, getting more violent as the time goes on, which obviously for any kid, this would fucking scare you. So you would start crying for your mother. Help, help. So at first Peggy thought that Janet and Johnny were just playing around. And, you know, that's why they were yelling and screaming, which I'm like, eh, I feel like they were probably really scared. And so the fact that she didn't really like, I don't know. Maybe she just was like, all right, whatever, guys, go back to bed. Like, you know, I'm trying to relax downstairs. Let me finish my glass of wine at least before you call me up here. But the children did not like that answer at all. So eventually a reluctant and very annoyed Peggy decided to go see what her kids were screaming about because they were calling her name over and over again, again. So something's got to be up. When she got up to Janet's bedroom and she turned on the light, she saw that Janet and Johnny were both just sitting up in their beds, but they were clearly, and visibly extremely frightened. And that was when Janet started telling her mom that their beds were shaking extremely hard and they wouldn't stop. And that's why they were screaming bloody murder for her to come back upstairs. But obviously when she got in there, Peggy's like, yeah, right, like, your beds are not shaking, they look fine to me, they're, they're sitting there where they always do, like, what are you guys talking about? And so, as I think most parents would do, kind of just chalk it up to your kid's imagination and that, they you know, they're just, they're kids, they're imagining things, they're having a bad dream and, you know, tells them to go back to sleep. Peggy then turns off the bedroom light and then goes back downstairs to try and finish that glass of wine. And luckily for her, the children remained quiet for the rest of the night and everybody was eventually able to go to sleep peacefully but the strange activity didn't stop there in fact the next night august 31st around nine thirty p.m janet woke up startled after hearing a shuffling noise coming from a chair in her bedroom almost like it was being moved around when janet first woke up her first thought was that johnny was playing around on the ground or something that was making the noise But when she did look around, Johnny was fast asleep. Chills ran down Janet's spine as she looked around her room in total confusion because what the fuck? I would have chills running down my spine too, that's for sure, if I was, especially her, sitting in my room, knowing what had just happened the night before. First my bed is rocking from side to side and now I've got a chair just being shuffled around on the floor. It's terrifying. At this point, Janet's now terrified because she realized that it wasn't Johnny making the noises, so she decided, I need to know if he is hearing what I'm hearing. So she starts shaking him, trying to get him to wake up, and when he finally did, she whispered to him about whether or not he could hear any of the same noises coming from the chair in their room. Johnny, half asleep, listened closely for a second, but then his eyes got very wide and he nodded his head yes, saying, I did hear those sounds, Janet at that point they both realized that they could hear a constant shuffling noise coming from the chair in their bedroom but they had no idea what was causing it so as siblings do they started whispering to each other like hey what's going on what do you think it is and all this caught the attention of their mother peggy who was in the other room and i assume she probably walked by heard them whispering and decided to see what they were doing and when she walked into their bedroom she turned on the light and she saw Janet and Johnny were both wide awake facing each other in their beds. She started asking them what they were doing and what all the noise was about. And the children kept telling her that they kept hearing this creepy shuffling noise like someone was walking around their room. Janet and Johnny then told their mom that they thought that the chair in their bedroom was the thing that was making this noise. So at this point, Peggy's pretty annoyed with her kids. She's like, why are you guys to keep telling me all this shit? And so she goes in, does the quick fix, grabs the chair that they're saying is making this unusual noise, takes it downstairs, puts it in the living room so that the kids can finally go to sleep. After she does this, Peggy goes back upstairs to the bedroom and that's when she sees Janet and Johnny still whispering to each other. Peggy at this point is just beyond frustrated with Johnny and Janet and she's tired herself and she just doesn't get why her kids won't go back to sleep. But eventually, she's able to coax them to, you know, go back to bed, turn off the light, and try to go to sleep. As soon as Peggy turns off the light and is about to leave the room, she starts hearing the shuffling noise. But this time, they're all hearing it. And I can only imagine what Peggy must have thought when she started hearing the shuffling noise that her kids were just telling her about. She must have probably thought, Am I dreaming? Am I half asleep? What's going on? Because She's like, there's nothing in the room that could possibly be making this noise. I mean, I just removed the chair that the kids said was making the noise, but now there's nothing. So, what's making the noise? And the noise that they were hearing sounded like somebody was walking around Janet's bedroom, like wearing slippers, making this, you know, the shuffle sometimes you hear from slippers walking around. Like that. Yeah. They were hearing that very faintly, but it was definitely noticeable. What I think of right off the bat is like, you know, my grandfather or grandma or something shuffling around in their slippers, you know? Like if you've ever stayed with your grandparents before, you know most grandparents wear slippers and they walk slow, so, you know, they kind of make this shuffling noise, which is interesting in this case because, you know, it kind of is our first piece of evidence for, you know, what's to come and what is behind this activity. What's interesting about this moment, though, is that when Peggy turns back on the light, Not only does she see that nobody's walking around the room creating the noise, but Janet and Johnny are lying in their beds, hands under the covers, and clearly not the ones making the noise either. So this was kind of that point of realization for Peggy that she realized, okay, something is actually going on here. There's something very real happening. Because then all of a sudden, the next thing they hear is four distinct loud knocks coming from the wall which is connected to the neighbor's house because this is a townhouse so on the other side of the wall there's another family so she thought okay maybe all this noise that they're hearing is their neighbors the nottinghams because maybe they were having guests over or something or maybe they just happened to knock something off the wall over there or knocked into it which was causing this noise that she was hearing but then it gets even worse the bedroom dresser by the wall closest to the door slides out into the middle of the room almost two feet from the original position it was in completely on its own she witnesses with her own eyes and then after sitting there in the middle of the room for a few moments it slides across the floor again almost blocking the bedroom doorway at this point all the while this is happening Peggy and her children are all just shocked and staring at the dresser in disbelief At this point, panic is starting to set in for Peggy because what the hell is going on? So she tries to push the dresser back to its original position, but she could not move it. It would not budge at all. At this point, Peggy is shaking with fear and she's now worried about her children. So she cries out to Janet, Johnny and the rest of her kids to get downstairs immediately to the living room so they could figure out what's going on and what to do next. Once they got back down to the living room, they looked out the window, And they saw that their next-door neighbors, the Nottinghams, porch light was still on. So she decided to walk over there and hope to God that they're the explanation for what's happening in their unit. And after talking to Vic, the father of the Nottinghams, who actually answered the door, Peggy started going into this frantic rant about what she had just experienced and all of this strange activity that was happening in their house. At first, Vic Nottingham thought Peggy's story was crazy. Because I think most people, if you came to them and said, my dresser's moving around on its own, I'm hearing loud knocks that have no origin, there's a shuffling going on in the room. I think most of us would be pretty skeptical at first and be like, yeah, right. Come on. But it was pretty clear to Vic that Peggy was clearly distraught. She was really afraid to go back inside of her house. So Vic's like, all right, I'll go with you. Let's go check it out, see if we can figure out what this strange activity you're reporting is all about. So once back inside the Hodgson's house, Vic too began to hear loud knocking noises that Peggy had just told him about. As he walked from room to room, he was trying to find what could be the source of these knocks. But there was nothing, and the knocks continued in intervals over and over again. Vic even commented, that it sounded like the knocks were almost following him around the house. And he realized that what he was hearing was not normal at all. So imagine that for a moment. You know, like to many, I think knocking wouldn't be that scary to experience. Unexplained knocks. But imagine if the knocks follow you and, you know, you walk through the kitchen. You hear knock, knock. Then you go upstairs. You hear that same knock right on the wall next to where you are. It's almost like the knocking is intentionally trying to taunt the family and Vic inside the house. Like, Hey, you know, I'm here. What you going to do about it? Type of thing. And what's really interesting with the knocking is that they, it was like four loud, you know, distinct knocks. And then it would be silence for like, 30 seconds to a few minutes, and then the knocks would come back again, and that just repeatedly happened to him while he was in the house. So Mr. Skeptical is all of a sudden not so skeptical because he's experiencing what the family just told him firsthand. So after going through the house, Vic could not find any reason for these knocks, and the only solution that he could think of was for Peggy to report these unexplained noises to the police. So around 1 a.m., It's now the following day on September 1st, the police finally show up. Officer Heaps and Officer Himes arrived at the Hodgson house. And when they arrive, they find Peggy and her children, as well as Vic, all standing in the living room. They're like, okay, ma'am, what do you need? I'm sure they were like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, why are you calling us here for some unexplained shit? So Peggy starts telling them about all the strange activity that they've been experiencing in the house so far and over the past few nights. And the first thing that she kind of amounts it all to is that the house is haunted. And obviously these officers are like, your house is haunted. Okay. What do you want us to do about that? Like what? What? I mean, true. It's true though. Like what would the police do about a haunted house? It's not like they can do anything. So the officers reacted how you would expect them to react. They were like, ma'am, are you sure it's not just your kids playing a prank on you? Like there's obviously an explanation for these noises that you're hearing. Well, Peggy's like, there's not. So she turns off the lights in her living room and the officers are standing there in the dark with her and all of a sudden they start hearing the same knocking noises, the knock, 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 coming from the wall that they originally heard it, which is the wall that divides their unit from their neighbors. And then again, there was the four loud distinct knocks and then there would be a pause. And after nearly two minutes, they started hearing more knocking But this time it was coming from a different wall. But it was still that four loud distinct knocks. So the officers now are like, okay, see what you're saying here. This is kind of weird. This is definitely worth checking out. So they start searching the house. They go room to room, top and bottom, doing a thorough search, trying to figure out there's got to be something, you know, explainable. It could be, you know, something behind the walls. Maybe it's a pipe. Maybe it's like You know, an electrical issue, you know, what? There's got to be something. And I mean, there's a lot of cases where people are hearing strange noises or unexplained activity, and it turns out to be something completely normal. There's something that we just can't see, whether it's plumbing, electrical, that is happening behind the wall that is causing these noises to be heard. But that was not the case with these guys. They did not find anything that could explain the unusual knocking noises. And the activity didn't end there for the officers. They were actually back in the living room at one point with the Hodgson family and Vic Nottingham and they actually saw a chair next to the couch start mysteriously wobbling from side to side. And then a few moments later, the chair started actually sliding across the floor on its own towards the kitchen wall. It literally moved about three to four feet before it stopped completely. At this point, the officers are just standing there in complete disbelief at what they're witnessing. They're like, holy shit, are we being pranked right now? Like, what the hell's going on? This is wild. They're just like, how could this possibly be? They're looking at the chair. They're like, this chair's got to have wheels, got to have a motor on it. Like, <laughs> how is this chair moving right? on its own? This does not make any sense. And they're looking it all up and down, trying to figure it out, and there's nothing. There's, it's just an ordinary chair. But then what's interesting is that when Peggy turned the light back on, nothing else happened while the officers were there for the rest of the time. And at the end of the day, the officers still had no explanation for the unusual noises they were hearing or what was actually happening inside the Hodgson house. In their actual report, they concluded that there wasn't anybody hiding in the house and there wasn't anybody breaking the law, so that was it. There was nothing to really investigate further. They're like, there's strange noises. What do you want us to do about it? So they called that investigation a wrap. And while they were leaving, they told Peggy that they would keep an eye on the house over the next few days, you know, just to make her feel better and wished her luck with whatever she was dealing with. And they took off. They're like, all right, we're out. So you're on your own. But unfortunately for the Hodgson family, over the next few days, the paranormal activity just got even worse. And it literally began harassing them. The family would see shadowy figures appearing in random places throughout the house, especially at night. Marbles and Legos, so toys, began to mysteriously fly around the house and sometimes would even hit the family members, hurting them. But you can only imagine. I mean, Legos are horrible to step on by themselves, you know. They are. But to imagine Legos flying through the air in your house, getting whipped in the face by a fucking Lego. And especially marbles, too. Like, can you imagine taking a marble to the face? Like, (laughs) like right in the the fucking eye, you're like, ah, that right there would be, you know, enough for me to be like, all right, we got to move out. Moving out of this house, fuck this. Like, what the hell's going on? If toys are flying around, you got chairs moving on their own, that's enough for me to be like, all right, Something's going on. This house is haunted. Getting the fuck out of here. We got to do something about this because even while they were sleeping, they would be pelted in the face by toys. That's fucking horrible. That's torment. Whatever is there is obviously trying to fuck with them. It's obviously trying to torment them and show their power and their ability and, you know, make them scared. Clearly Vic Nottingham ended up being a good neighbor to them and offered his support and, offered to help them try to figure out what was going on inside their house. Because every time Vic went over to their house and went inside, he too experienced very similar activity to what the family was reporting. And what's crazy about that is Vic and the Nottingham family literally share the same building as the Hodgson family. And, the, and he never experienced any of that activity inside his house and only inside the Hodgson house, which it just baffles me. Yeah, that's that's definitely a very interesting point. I think there's some factors that play into that for why that's the case. But you know, you would expect. It, I mean, they're living in the same house. So, is it a haunted house? Is the house itself haunted? It doesn't seem like it, because if that were the case, then yeah, Vic would have been having the same kind of shit. Maybe it wasn't marbles. Maybe his his cigars would fly through there and <laughs> felt him in the face or. You know, exactly. He'd tea be, cups. He'd be experiencing something. something yeah. yeah. You would think he'd have some stuff going on there, but no, only in Peggy's side. Apparently there was even this one time that Vic was over at Peggy's place and he actually picked up one of these marbles that was flying through the air and he said it burned his hand. It was so hot. That That's, that's pretty wild. But by September 4th, Peggy was at her wits end with all of this paranormal activity going on in her house. And I would be too. I'd be like, this is fucking ridiculous. But unfortunately for her, she had already gone to the police and they weren't able to help her. So she really had nowhere else to turn. She wasn't a religious person. So she didn't really think to go to the church to try to get help or anything like that. So she decided to contact the media, specifically the daily mirror, which is a national newspaper over there a news organization over there. And she hoped that if she got a story done about her, that maybe somebody would come to her aid. So the Daily Mirror decided to hear Peggy's story, and at first they were very skeptical. But on the other hand, they were like, well, this could make for an interesting story. We're dealing with you know unexplained activity happening at this house. Hmm, maybe we should uh, look into this a little bit. So they sent a journalist named Douglas Benz and a photographer named Graham Morris to the Hodgson home. And when they arrived, Peggy let them inside the house and they started doing their investigation. And the first thing that Douglas and Graham noticed when they were inside the house was how messy it was. There was Legos, marbles, and toys all over the place. And the majority of the furniture was flipped over and just in weird locations throughout the home. So what the hell's going on there? You know, are they just uh you know, it's almost like the place got ransacked, you know, like somebody came through and just purposely destroyed everything and threw shit all over the place, but This was all done by this unexplained force. And apparently Douglas and Graham could immediately sense that something was very off once inside the home. But they weren't able to tell if it was, you know, they weren't really thinking at first that this was paranormal activity. uh, But they thought maybe it had something to do with the kids. I mean, she did have four kids there, so maybe they were responsible for the mess. And while they were there that first day, Graham and Douglas did not see anything or hear anything unusual the entire time. They were inside the home but that changed that night around 2 30 a.m on september 5th douglas and graham still hadn't seen any unusual activity so they decided to call it a day and then head out of the house and Peggy was not upset when Douglas and Graham decided to leave the house that night. In fact, she almost felt relieved that there wasn't any paranormal activity going on anymore inside her house. And, you know, she thought that she was finally going to be able to get like a good night's rest. Yeah, because I can imagine she was probably feeling like I'm a little crazy right now. Like maybe I'm just going insane. And so having these two random people come in the house uh, that, you know, we're going to do the story about her kind of put her mind at ease for a little bit. But oh, no, no, no. That did not stop there as soon as the men left legos other small objects marbles toys you name it started flying around the house again it was almost as if whatever was causing this activity or haunting the house it was just waiting for the visitors to leave before it started the harassment all over again again the Hodgson children were struck in their faces by flying objects and they actually got so upset they started fighting amongst themselves because they thought someone in the house was doing it as a prank. So they're literally like, everybody's just going mad. They're like, who's throwing at me? They're fighting with each other. They have no idea what's going on. Meanwhile, there's a, there's a poltergeist just whipping shit around the house. I can't even imagine that. I mean, it's just like, it's just getting out of hand at this point. Peggy at one point bolted out the front door of the house, started yelling at the two men from the Daily Mirror to come back inside. Because <laughs> she's just like, oh my God, I had a piece for, you know, a little while come back in maybe it'll stop again so luckily the men didn't actually leave and Graham actually heard Peggy so he ended up grabbing his Nikon camera and quickly followed her back into the house Douglas was not far behind and once they were back inside they did see Legos marbles and even silverware flying around the living room like a swarm of flies Graham had his camera with him this time so he tried to take a picture actually And when he was trying to actually focus his camera, one of the flying Lego bricks ended up hitting him in his forehead pretty close to his eyebrow, which ended up causing him to bleed and even left a mark on his head for a few days after this happened. So even though Graham is bleeding out of his forehead at this point, they are still saying they're watching the Legos and Marvels and other objects fly around the house chaotically. And Graham's sitting there trying to take a picture. He's probably got blood going in one eye. Like I can't even imagine that scene. It must've been, must've been crazy. But it seems like whatever was inside the Hodgson house didn't want its picture taken because Graham managed to take a negative photo and he did notice some very strange things within it. The photo actually had an inexplicable hole in it. The flying Lego bricks were not even visible in the photo and the photo did not capture anything that Douglas and Graham claimed to have experienced. So that's very unfortunate to their testimony about this activity is that it doesn't match up to the evidence that was collected. Graham did continue to take more pictures, but he was unable to capture a single thing. But the bottom line is is that at this point, Douglas, Graham, Vic Nottingham, the police had all experienced unexplainable activity inside the Hodgson house. They just didn't have any proof of it. So Peggy was still in a bad place she was still desperate for answers on how to stop the paranormal activity from occurring within her house and the men from the Daily Mirror didn't have a clue on how to stop it either so once all the activity calmed down inside the house they decided to take off and the next morning Peggy ended up speaking to a senior reporter from the Daily Mirror named George Fallows and George Fallows asked Peggy about what had happened and he asked her if she had any interest in moving out of her house And this is very interesting because this is quite uh, the opposite of what you would expect Peggy to say. But she said, absolutely not. I don't want to move out because she wanted to continue to raise her children in one stable place throughout their lives. Okay, let's weigh this for a second. Shit flying around in your house, unexplained, stable. Stable. Not even close, not even close, not even remotely close, so that doesn't make any sense, and I think that raises some red flags for people that you would have expected Peggy to say, "Hell to the yow, yeah, get out, you got another house for me like a, just a different answer from absolutely not I need it it's stable, like maybe you know in a lot of these cases the the people that this is happening to don't have the means or the resources to go get another place, so that could be part of it. If you're, if you're looking at it from that perspective, maybe there, you know, the other option was like live out of her car, go live in a box or, you know, like it wasn't going to be as stable. Like maybe she was like, this is more stable because the alternative solution is even worse, you know, if for her kids. And I'm sure she's thinking about her kids too. Like, you know, this is crazy what's happening, but maybe we'll get past it. Maybe we'll figure out what's going on and, you know, Is it worth jumping ship right now? And she said no. And I think Peggy completely forgot that her entire family in that house were in danger. I mean, I get that the unexplainable noises is one thing, and it's not too big of a concern. But when you have flying objects going all over the place, hitting people and, like, making Graham bleed, like, come on now. Right. Something clearly doesn't want you to be there. You want to live with something that doesn't want you to be there? I think most of us would say, I'm out. Like, I'm getting out of here. At the end of the conversation with George Fallows, he actually suggested that, you know, they get some experts in here to analyze what's going on in her home. And he ended up suggesting to Peggy that it would be best if they contacted the Society for Physical Research. Now, the Society for Physical Research is one of the oldest paranormal investigative bodies in the world dating all the way back to the 19th century. It was also the first scientific organization to ever examine claims of psychic and paranormal phenomena. And so she was like, all right, it's worth a shot. I'll call up the Society for Physical Research. And when she did, she spoke with a man named Maurice Gross, who was a resident of North London, who at the time had been hoping to find a case just like the Hodgson's to investigate. So on the afternoon of September 5th, Maurice Gross arrived at the Hodgson house for the first time. And it was immediately clear to him that Peggy and her children and the reporters from the Daily Mirror were very disturbed by the strange activity happening inside the Hodgson house. And when Maurice mentioned that the activity they spoke of seemed like a poltergeist type of phenomena, no one even knew what he was talking about. But just having Maurice there at the house provided sort of a calming effect to the family. And for the next few days, actually, nothing out of the ordinary happened inside the house. However, that would all change on the night of September 8th because Maurice, along with Douglas and Graham from the Daily Mirror, were all inside the Hodgson house just you know, keeping watch, trying to see if anything happens while everybody else was sleeping. And then out of nowhere, they heard this loud crash which sounded like it was coming from Janet's bedroom. Maurice ran up the stairs to Janet's bedroom and when he got there, he saw that a chair had been thrown about four feet across the bedroom and was now laying on its side. Janet was lying awake in her bed and when Maurice asked her what happened, she said that she was asleep the whole time and that she never saw anyone else or the chair move. Maurice was like, what the hell? So he decided to wait outside Janet's room to see if the chair would move again. After nearly an hour, the chair mysteriously started moving again on its own and Graham ended up capturing it on camera. The next day, the paranormal activity inside the Hodgson house escalated even more. At around 10 o'clock, a marble whizzed past Maurice out of nowhere, almost hitting him in the face. I just can't get over these objects flying around through the air. Like, that seems so dangerous. What the hell, you could literally be killed by a marble whizzing through the air if it hits you in the right place. I don't get it. Whatever's there clearly does not like what they're doing and is making very threatening gestures because as soon as that marble missed Maurice and hit the floor, The wind chimes hanging on the Hodgson's balcony began violently moving back and forth, but there was not any wind present at the time. A little while later, Maurice walked down one of the hallways and saw the bathroom door was just opening and closing on its own. And while he was standing there staring at the bathroom door, he all of a sudden felt a cold presence near his feet, which made him feel like he was paralyzed. Maurice also noticed that the air around him suddenly made him feel sick and lightheaded. And the more he investigated, the more he knows that Janet seemed to be the center of the paranormal activity. He observed that anywhere Janet went, furniture randomly wobbled and shaked, silverware on the tables would randomly levitate into the air and then fall to the ground, marbles, Legos, and other toys would fly through the air nearby her. However, it was still a mystery to Maurice about what the connection was with Janet and the haunting. But despite not knowing the answer to that, he ended up telling Peggy about his observations, about how he thought Janet might have something to do with the haunting. But obviously Peggy was like, what do you mean my daughter's the one causing the activity? I don't believe that. And plus she felt like he was trying to say that Janet was like trying to play tricks on all of them and that's what this was all about. And she was like, no, my daughter would never do that. Why would she do that? But clearly there was some miscommunication going on there because he was trying to explain one thing and Peggy was just understanding a completely different way and felt like she was kind of being under attack from Maurice. So Maurice realized that he needed to explain it to her in words that she could actually understand. So he began to tell Peggy that Janet wasn't consciously doing any of these things, but that it was possible that something had attached itself to her or even possessed her, which caused the activity. But telling any mother that their child is possessed is not going to get a good reaction, unfortunately. And so Peggy just acted very shocked and was in complete denial about Maurice's analysis of the situation. After this, Maurice realized that he was in over his head with the Enfield House investigation and decided that he needed a call and backup to deal with the situation. So it was at that point that Maurice contacted psychic and paranormal investigator Guy Playfair. Who agreed to come and assist him with the investigation. But before we talk about Guy Playfair and what he observed in the Hodgson home, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Raycon. It's out. So on September 12th, 1977, Guy Playfair arrived at the Hodgson house along with Rosalind Morris, who was actually from the BBC Radio 4 show. And that night, Guy and the other investigators set up their cameras and tape recorders throughout the house and waited anxiously for the activity to start. At around 11 o'clock p.m., Maurice, Guy, and Rosalind started noticing things were flying around again, but they noticed something specific about the marbles that they hadn't noticed prior. They observed that when the flying marbles would actually hit the floor, they would suddenly stop moving, almost like they got stuck as soon as they hit the floor, which completely defies physics. I mean, if marble goes flying through the air and hits the floor, it's going to roll until it stops. But in this case, it would just literally stop on a dime, it would just like freeze. So that's obviously very weird. So you're obviously thinking, okay, they've got cameras set up everywhere throughout the house. They're gonna capture something. So Graham earlier that day had actually set up his camera in the house. And when he went to go actually take a photograph of what was going on, the flash wouldn't go off. And the picture that he ended up taking just looked like a bunch of black shadows. So there's no proof of what they were seeing. But what was strange is that Graham's camera was working completely fine earlier in the day and it worked again after he left the house. So to him, it was almost as if while he was trying to capture the activity, whatever was causing it was not allowing for his camera to work at all. It just completely rendered it useless. So obviously this made Graham very creeped out and the other investigators were also weirded out by this. And they started wondering if there's some sort of strange energy in the house that could somehow manipulate the camera's ability in order to function properly. Which, I mean, there's not anything that would affect that other than something paranormal. Over the next couple of nights, obviously they're all still there. Guy Playfair is there, and he continued to experience many other unexplainable occurrences. One night, while he was investigating Jan's room out of nowhere, he witnessed her empty bed slowly moving away from the wall towards her. Also, while he was in the room during this time, he saw a chair randomly tip over as if someone had slammed it to the floor, but obviously there was no one standing near it. Also, right after the chair tipped over, he saw one of the children's books fly off the bookshelves and land near his feet. And even Janet noticed something strange with Peggy's pillow that night. She saw that there was a distinct indentation of a face on her pillow that could only appear if there was someone actually laying their head on it. That's fucking creepy to see an imprint of an unknown face in a pillow that is clearly not the person who sleeps on that pillows face like that's definitely wild at this point. They're all trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to come up with their theories of what is causing this unexplained activity. Peggy starting to think that maybe there's some kind of child spirit trapped inside their house. That's just playing games with them or lashing out at them because they're angry for some reason. However, Guy explained to Peggy that if they were dealing with a child entity, then there was probably nothing to be afraid of because most likely he said it didn't know it was dead. But just as Guy said this to Peggy, they all of a sudden heard a loud scream echo throughout the house. This time it was coming from Janet and she was upstairs. So Guy and Peggy fly up the stairs. Once they got up to her room, they noticed that the bedroom dresser had moved again and this time it was blocking janet's path out of the room this time they were able to move the dresser and get janet from the corner of the room but after she left the room she did not want to return to it for the rest of the night and over the next few days peggy's neighbor vic Nottingham saw something very odd happening inside the hodgson house one afternoon he told peggy actually that while he was outside in his garden he looked up at one of the house's windows and he saw the curtains moving as if someone was trying to open them in order to look out the window but then as he kept looking he saw what appeared to be an old woman with gray hair smiling at him which I believe would have probably been some sort of apparition because then it vanished a few seconds later by October 1977 the Hodgson family had been experiencing this unusual and strange activity inside their house flying objects going everywhere furniture being moved about for weeks now. Furniture, silverware, and basically any household item that wasn't nailed in place had become a throwing object for the poltergeist that was inside the house. One night, investigators removed all objects that could be thrown from Janet's room as some sort of experiment. And Guy Playfair reported that shortly after emptying Janet's room, him and the rest of the investigators could hear a tremendous vibrating noise coming from her room. And this vibrating noise was so loud that it sounded like someone was drilling a giant hole through the floor. And when this happened, Guy went into Jan's room to investigate, and he saw that the fireplace had been completely torn out from the wall. And this is just absolutely insane and pretty much impossible, because there was a Victorian cast iron fireplace in her room that weighed nearly 60 pounds. So how did this happen with no explanation? Because clearly, the children weren't strong enough to rip it off of the wall, Because there was pipes that connected to the fireplace, which would have had to been cut first. And what kids are going to do that? They're not. And so when Maurice and Guy saw that the fireplace had been ripped from the wall, they realized that, okay, there's no way anybody could have done this. There's no way anybody could be playing any tricks. There is absolutely something unexplainable happening inside this house. And it was one of the first incidents that truly showed the power of the paranormal activity in the house, you know? So I think it was just really alarming for everybody once they saw that. Yeah. So much so that guy decided that he needed to go back to his group, his other members of the society for psychic research and tell them what he had just witnessed inside the Hodgson house. But as you would expect, many of the group did not believe guy when he told them what had happened. Most of the group just thought that, you know, must have been the children that were doing the unexplained activity. Or maybe they were all in on it, just trying to, you know, get attention from the press, from the media, for some sort of fame, or something along those lines. It was also at this point that Guy and Maurice brought to Peggy's attention how there may be a connection between what was going on in her house and other poltergeist cases they had investigated. And like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Many poltergeist cases center around children, especially those who are about to hit puberty or are in puberty and, you know, or just when they're most vulnerable, and that seems to be the target for poltergeists. When Peggy heard this again, she thought, huh, okay, this is very interesting, and she began to think about it a lot harder, and that's when she realized that, oh, my kids, my daughters fit this description, especially Janet and Margaret. And she was also reminded of the fact that poltergeist activity feeds on negative energy. And when she thought about this a little bit, she realized that, okay, well, I've definitely got some unresolved feelings about my divorce, so maybe that's feeding into the activity. But she wasn't completely convinced. She's like, there's got to be something else going on. There's got to be a greater factor. I mean, shit's being ripped off the walls, stuff's flying around. So she's like, okay, let's get some more people involved. So Peggy and the investigators decide the next step is to call in a medium. So if you don't know what a medium is, it's somebody who claims to have the ability to contact spirits or the other side, essentially. And so they had somebody like that come in and investigate the house. The mediums that they called were named Annie and George Shaw, and they arrived at the Hodgson house within the next few weeks. And the night before they arrived, Janet was crying in her sleep, and her family was having a hard time waking her up. They were even shouting in her ears to try and wake her up, but it didn't work. Eventually, they were able to get Janet to wake up, but when she did, she looked very tired and pale. When the mediums arrived at the Hodgson house the next day, Janet hid herself away as if their presence was affecting her. Once they were inside the Hodgson house, Annie and George sat together in the living room, and George started leading them in a quick prayer. And after a few moments, Annie began speaking in a different voice as if she was allowing the entity that dwelled inside the house to speak through her. It was at this point that George decided that it was time to command this entity that was speaking through Annie to leave the Hodgson house. Unfortunately, it did not work so well. The entity clearly did not like to be told what to do because it started spitting through Annie at George and it told him that it refused to leave. And after a few moments, Annie was able to get control of herself again, and she told George that there was more than just one entity inside of the house. And during their investigation, the Shaws learned that there was someone by the name of Gozer who once performed black magic inside the Hodgson house and was now an entity that was possessing it. They also learned that there was another entity in the house named LV who was basically commanding Gozer and Janet to do the things that was happening inside the home to cause the activity. And when the Shaws told Peggy about what they had learned, Peggy was completely shocked, as you can imagine. And she wanted to know what was needed in order to get rid of these entities. Unfortunately, the Shaws did not have an answer for Peggy and they just told her to focus on remaining calm and peaceful as much as possible, which is just uh, kind of hard to, to believe that that was the best uh, you know, sort of solution they could come up with her. How about leave the house? Exactly. Leave get out. Leave the house. You need to get out. If you now know there's these two evil entities that were conjured using black magic, why the hell would you not leave at this point? Because I sure would. The Shaws then explained that any negative energy that was expelled in the house could be used against them by these evil entities. Peggy said that she felt that the entities in her house just wanted to upset them and turn her family against each other. Or maybe they just want you to fucking leave. How about that? But after the Shaws left the Hudson house, The rest of the week was much quieter for them. The Shaw's did continue to check up on the Hodgson family and check up on the house in order to provide assistance and support to Peggy and her family as much as they could. But again, they did not have an answer or solution for how to get rid of the activity. By the end of October, it seems like the poltergeist activity mainly focused around the two Hodgson girls, Janet and Margaret during this time, Janet hadn't been doing very well in school and her grades were slipping over the past couple of weeks She would have very angry outbursts towards her classmates and teachers, and she would oftentimes fall asleep at her desk. Well, maybe it's because she ain't getting good sleep at home, clearly. And not only that, her behavior got so bad that her principal had a mandatory meeting with her mother. And at this meeting, all of Janet's teachers came together to discuss their options on how to move forward with her because they're like, something's going on with her. Something's not right. And when Peggy told the principal and the teachers about all the unusual activity that was happening inside their home, they wondered why Peggy had not moved out of the house yet. And at this point, Peggy told them that the reason why she didn't want to move out of the house is because there was no other option for them. There was no other place for them to go. One of the teachers recommended that the Hodgson family should take a vacation to get away from everything. Why would they... Okay, what's the logic there? They can't move out of their house because they don't have a place to go because they probably don't have money to go somewhere else. Right. And yet the the teachers are like, Go on holiday then. How are they supposed to go on holiday? Go camping? Go on a camping trip for a week or something? Like what What are they thinking? That just seems so, so ridiculous to me. Peggy agreed with the idea, but she wanted to check with the investigators first. So she went and asked Maurice and Guy about it, and they agreed that it was probably best for Peggy and her family to get away from the house for a while. So Peggy decided to take a short trip to Clacton-on-Sea, with her family, which is an English seaside resort town on the Atlantic coast. So the family started packing up their things, getting ready to leave, and on October 29th, when they did finally decide to leave for vacation, the entities did not like the fact that the family was trying to leave the house. Because as they were leaving the house, that obviously they can't stop them from actually physically leaving the house, but they sure raised hell in order to get them to stay. So the family went on their holiday and when they came back it was november 1977 and the poltergeist activity stepped it up another level because it was pissed that they had left their furniture was constantly getting tossed around the beds would begin shaking whenever someone was in them the blankets were repeatedly yanked off of the beds right off the top of them even and the sheets were often shredded into pieces At all hours of the day, loud knocking noises were frequently heard from the walls throughout the entire home. At one point, Maurice observed that the knocking noises had seemed to become more intelligent even. And so, one day, he decided he wanted to take advantage of the intelligent knockings by asking it some questions. Maurice requested for the perpetrator to knock once for no and twice for yes. And then he proceeded to ask basically this unknown perpetrator some questions. And many of them went unanswered. But when he asked the perpetrator, if it was dead, it replied by knocking 53 times. So it was like, absolutely fucking yes, I'm dead, which is very interesting. But at one point Maurice started feeling like maybe this thing was just fucking with him and wasn't actually trying to answer his questions. And instead was just having fun with him. Eventually Maurice's patience gave out though. He was, he was getting pissed off and he actually said to this unknown perpetrator, are you having a game with me? And then suddenly there was a shh noise that was even caught on the recording. And then during this time, a cardboard box from the corner of the room was thrown at Maurice's face out of nowhere. Maurice Gross and Guy Playfair were convinced that the house was genuinely haunted. What's interesting though is that when other people visited the house from the Society for Psychical Research, they did not find any evidence or experience any paranormal activity. Anita Gregory and John Belhoff were two people in particular that felt all of the phenomena that was taking place inside the home was just deliberate hoaxes on the parts of the children. But despite the haters, the paranormal activity just continued getting stranger and stranger. In fact, during this time, there would be strange pools of water which would appear on the kitchen floor without any explanation of how it got there. What was even more odd about the pools was that they didn't behave like normal puddles of water. They had odd outlines as if they were drawn by a human finger, and oftentimes the pools would form into a shape of a human body. As November went by, Janet's behavior was becoming more and more violent, and it seemed as if she was becoming very, very unsettled. Janet would often experience strange-like trance states, similar to an epileptic state, and during these states, she would acquire phenomenal strength. When she was having one of these violent episodes, she would sometimes rush across the room and bash her head against a hard surface, which frightened Maurice, thinking that she might possibly kill herself. Maurice was very aware of the change in Janet's behavior and he went as far to say that she seemed to be taken over. Janet would often become very angry when scream and shout and even swear to a point where Maurice would have to physically restrain her, just out of control. Janet would also speak in multiple guttural toned voices. Oftentimes using very strong profanity as if multiple entities were trying to speak through her Janet was becoming more and more terrified and started resisting going to bed each night because she knew what was going to happen on several different occasions when she tried to go to sleep she claimed that she would feel a hand cover her nose and mouth and try to smother her but there was nobody there one day when Janet walked into the living room she claimed to have seen an old man sitting still in a nearby chair. Janet said that when she looked at the old man, he was already staring at her with a very angry look on his face. And when she saw him, she wanted to run, but her feet felt frozen to the floor. While being stuck in place, this old man would stand up out of the chair and walk quickly towards her. And within a few seconds, the old man was right up in Janet's face staring at her. And then he started putting his hands on her, attempting to smother her. That's fucking freaky, man. Like, if that's real, that is uh, that is some crazy, crazy experience to have, man. Like, what, what is that? What is she feeling? What is she experiencing? Is it an apparition of an old man? Is How is he able to physically exert this force on her? What's stopping her? What's freezing her? Like, I have so many questions. I can imagine how terrifying that would be for her because even when I was a child, like, I would have these night terrors where – I'd end up being like dragged into my closet. And for some reason, like it was ET in there cause I was terrified of ET damn, but dude. but he started smothering me like something with the smothering piece. Interesting of the story is just, yeah, it's fucking creepy, man. That's really interesting. I wonder if there's like some child psychology there that could explain some of that. That's yeah, really weird man. that it's trying to smother you to, I guess, kill you. That's the goal. Yeah. Very, very weird. One night paranormal investigator maurice was coming over to the hodgson house and had gotten there via the subway and as he was approaching the house he suddenly heard a loud scream coming from inside he then ran into the house and went upstairs to janet's room where he saw that guy playfair had janet restrained to a chair and his cheek was bleeding and janet was just thrashing all around in the chair and it was clear that she had attacked guy Janet got so bad that on the night of November 26th, they actually called a doctor to the Hodgson house to take a look at her. And when the doctor arrived, he saw that Janet was completely out of control. So he decided to inject her with 10 milligrams of Valium. And after injecting her, Janet fell right to sleep. And afterwards the doctor, Peggy, as well as the rest of the investigators went downstairs, hoping that this would keep her asleep. But just a few moments later, they heard a loud crash from upstairs, which echoed throughout the entire house. So wondering what had just caused the crash, the investigators immediately ran up the stairs and entered Janet's room. And that's when they saw that Janet had thrown all the sheets and blankets off of her bed and was screaming on the top of the dresser, appearing to still be asleep with her head hanging over her knees. And apparently there's a picture of this moment and what they saw when they entered Janet's room. And I'm trying to make sense of what I'm seeing here, but it does look like Janet's on top of the dresser. And she's balancing on one hand, and her legs are basically horizontal. One is touching the wall, and he's kind of touching her other leg, uh, the investigator. It's definitely a very bizarre photo. And I I don't know what I think of it. I mean, there's nothing that's that wild about it. I mean, it does look like that would be a hard position to balance in. But I don't know. It's very weird. It's definitely a weird photo of her. But, I don't know, it almost kind of looks like it could be a stage photo in a way. I don't know. That's very weird. Over the next several nights, Janice's night terrors continued to get worse. Peggy was doing her best to provide a normal life for her family while all this is going on. And she was still doing her absolute best to get her kids to school on time, make them meals, and put them to bed, whether or not there is entities in their life or not. But it was getting harder and harder for her to keep it all together. Almost every night, Peggy would hear Janet being thrown out of her bed, hitting the floor, causing a loud crashing sound, or it would just be hearing Janet crying and talking in her sleep. It was absolutely terrible. I mean, As a mother, she felt absolutely powerless, and she, again, could not move out of the house, she claims. As part of the investigation, Graham set up cameras that could be remotely operated as well as tape recorders throughout all the rooms in the house. It's important to note that the camera motor drives during this time were about four frames a second, so everything was a quarter of a frame or a quarter of a second apart. The images captured from the cameras in Janet's room revealed several strange occurrences. The first image captured a pillow that appeared to have been thrown while midair was twisted multiple times, which could not be possible without human intervention. The second image was a curtain that also got twisted around by itself, even though there were no open windows at the time. The third and craziest photo, also the most controversial photo of Janet herself, is a picture of her levitating in midair after it appears she was thrown off of her bed. The picture shows Janet coming from one side of the room up into the air and then across the room landing on the floor at the foot of her sister's bed. This is pretty much, I think, the most famous photo from the Enfield happenings here. It looks like Janet is airborne. But it almost looks like she just launched herself off her bed. Like she jumped. She's almost like in a jumping position, like not exactly a levitating one. But the investigators that were there said all this happened in like half a second, I think. They said this was very fast. The picture makes it look like this, this big, long jump, but it was very quick. I don't know, man. I mean, this this doesn't look like levitation to me. It, yeah, it looks like she's just jumping from bed to bed like they're trampolines or something. Levitation that, you know, I've seen on movies and stuff is like they levitate horizontally like they're laying back on their backs. But to me, this picture clearly looks like Janet just jumped from one bed to the next. Yeah. And if you zoom in and you look at. So for those listening, the picture is two twin beds in a small bedroom and janet's midair feet feet to the ground hands kind of out to her side mouth wide open like as if she's yelling or screaming maybe and then in the bed uh to the right of her there's her two siblings uh laying in bed there when you zoom in on them i don't know their faces to me i mean kind of look a little acted like margaret has her hand over her eyes like she's too scared to look, I guess, I don't know. And then Billy's got his eyes closed too and he looks like he's kind of yelling. So I don't know, to me, uh, I have a hard time believing that those are natural reactions from those children. Like I feel like maybe it's levitation, but maybe it's not. Janet actually later on described what happened during this event and she said, the levitation was scary because you didn't know where you were going to land. I remember a curtain being tied around my neck. I was screaming i thought i was going to die later on the camera captured some more events as well including janet bending spoons and attempting to bend an iron bar in an entirely normal manner it also captured janet bouncing up and down on the bed while making flapping movements with her hands which seemed as if she was playing around janet's restless activity continued and most of it would take place at night one of the most disturbing episodes of activities captured by maurice janet was asleep when suddenly she started being dragged out of her bed and then dragged on the floor towards the door. Then the door opened on its own and Janet was dragged through the doorway. Maurice heard the commotion upstairs, so he and the other investigators started going up the stairs and they actually caught Janet coming down the stairs head first. The investigators are running out of options to try and figure out what's going on with Janet. So sort of in a last ditch effort, they ask Ian Fletcher, a fellow member of their society, and a medical doctor to hypnotize her. Ian Fletcher put Janet into a light state of hypnosis and then asked her various questions, like, do you know who's doing all this? Janet said, quote, me and my sister, I don't know who it is. And then Janet told Ian that she had been thrown out of bed, and Ian asked, what did it feel like? Janet said, cold hands gripping me around my body. And after speaking to Janet, Ian came to the conclusion that this was not fraud, and that perhaps something was forcing her to behave in this erratic way against her will. Peggy also agreed with Ian and felt like Janet was getting worse and worse and her behavior was getting more and more disturbing because Janet started making disturbing drawings, which caused concern. One morning, Janet woke up and began drawing, and she drew nine drawings very quickly. The first drawing was of a woman with blood pouring out of her throat. The name Watson was even written on the bottom of the paper. And the other drawings were of weapons such as guns, knives, and even blood. Peggy, alarmed by this, quickly took the drawings and then showed them to Guy and Maurice. And they were very puzzled by them and didn't know who Watson was or what Janet was trying to say. Also during this time, the poltergeist activity started to center more and more around Margaret. Margaret began having night terrors and would often start crying or talking in her sleep. One night while Margaret was asleep, Maurice put a sheet of paper in front of her and a pencil in her hand, and she immediately woke up and wrote the numbers one through 10. When Maurice asked what the numbers represented, Margaret said, that was how many entities were inside their house. Jesus. But we don't have footage of this? Like, come on, man, where's a picture of this? Yeah, I want to see pictures of this. We got one picture of her jumping out (laughs) of the bed. Like, come on, man. I need some more pictures. Yeah. Then out of nowhere, Margaret mentioned the name Watson, which, if you remember, was the name that was written on Janet's drawings. Maurice then asked Margaret who Watson was, and she said, It was the old man that had died in a chair downstairs. And then after saying this, Margaret immediately fell back to sleep and didn't answer any more of Maurice's questions. When Margaret woke up the next morning, she did not have any memory of what she told Maurice the previous night. On December 7th, the family was seated around the dinner table with Guy and Maurice, when suddenly they began to hear odd sounds coming from Janet's direction. Maurice could hear a dog barking in the room, but there wasn't a dog there. Maurice started looking at the children very carefully and he noticed that they certainly weren't the ones making the barking noise because You know none of their mouths are moving. There's no clear signs of that However, the more he looked he started realizing that the noises were actually coming from Janet But Janet's mouth was not moving at all and that's when Maurice had the idea that well if whatever this thing is that's inhabiting Janet can bark then maybe it can talk At that point, Maurice then set up a tape recorder and started to try and communicate with the entity, which seemed to be speaking through Janet. And then right after he got his tape recorder set up, he heard the dog bark again. So Maurice challenged whatever was making the dog barking noise to talk. And then he said if anyone else was present, that they should announce themselves. And then Janet opened her mouth and a deep man's voice came out. The voice then said its name was Joe Watson. And he said he lived in the house at one point guy then started to try and convince Joe that he was no longer alive and that he was wasting his time continuing to live in the house. As guy finished his last sentence, the front door of the Hodgson house slammed open on its own. And then there was a moment of silence guy then asked Joe if he was going to leave now. And at that point, Janet screamed fuck off. I just wish I could see guys face during (laughs) this. Like, Oh my God. Like either, either this is like completely, Some made-up bullshit that Guy directed, and he's the director behind this. Or this is just some wild, wild poltergeist speaking through Janet, I guess. Clearly, they pissed off Joe because over the next few days, Maurice and Guy tried to make contact with him again, but they were unsuccessful in doing so. However, different voices did continue to speak through Janet, and there were also very deep, strange ones at that. Maurice even at one point told Janet that he thought the voices were coming from her, but Janet denied these claims and said that the voices were coming from behind her. And Janet did not have the nicest looking teeth. They're definitely protruding out of her mouth. So it was kind of impossible to see if Janet's lips were moving per se, uh, because of her teeth pretty much because they were kind of pretty high, pretty low. Um, I mean, if you see a picture of her, you can kind of definitely see that there. So it was kind of hard to see if her lips were moving or if she was talking, but the voice seemed to be coming from her larynx. And to eliminate the possibility of Janet faking the voice, she agreed to let Maurice fill her mouth with water and then tape it shut. And after doing this, the voice was able to continue speaking. Maurice then removed the tape and Janet spit the water out. The low guttural growling noise should have strained Janet's vocal cords, but it never did. And they actually did an experiment with Janet where they used a laryngograph which indicated that the voice was using Janet's false vocal folds and it wasn't the larynx as is used in normal speech. You know, when you lose your voice and your voice gets really scratchy yeah, and kind of like, yeah, like you you're, like really, raspy. you're using that lower part. That's what, what they determined the voice would, would be coming mm-hmm. from. But the thing about it and what was so weird about it is that for a normal person, you know, after you lose your voice, if you really lose your voice, you are not going to be able to talk like that for very long and in janet's case it went on for hours this growling guttural voice would literally speak for three hours Uh, obviously would stop but it would be able to speak for up to three hours and most normal people if this were to happen to you it would hurt your throat so bad you'd be so sore it'd be painful like nobody would put themselves through that sort of pain and anguish uh to you know Fake this, I guess. And apparently, after this would go on for hours on end, it would eventually return to our normal voice and there would be no adverse effect at all from what had just happened. So that's definitely very bizarre. On December 10th, the intelligence of the poltergeist activity progressed further. And on this day, a new voice was heard from Janet. Janet was being used by another entity to communicate with the living. The investigators recorded this interview with this voice. And during it, the voice referred to itself as a man by the name of Bill. Wilkins. This clip is by far the most famous clip with this case and a lot of people point to it as evidence for her being clearly possessed by something, some type of entity or an entity is literally using her to speak through her um, but other people say that this is just all her. She's making this voice so we'll let you hear that now and let you, let you make up your own mind. Bill, if you're there, would you answer me the following question? What have you done with Denise's 30 page?
1: Headed down to the radio,
0: downstairs. Sorry, Bill. can you say that again, please? Headed down to the radio downstairs. Days before I died, I died. I went blind. Then I had an engrudge, and I fell asleep, and I died in a chair. In the corner downstairs. Why can't Janet fill you? I'm invisible. You're invisible. Why are you invisible? So, So Maurice would actually sit and talk with Bill and ask Bill questions. And Bill would actually reply, which is very interesting. And I mean, this whole thing for me is like, why don't we have countless other cases where we are actually able to communicate with entities or spirits or poltergeists with, you know, for three hours and have full blown conversations, get full responses, cursing and all of that. Like we're lucky to get wisps of audio. Let's be real. Like you watch any ghost hunting show these days and like, they're lucky to get some voices that they only find out about after the fact. It's very rare that you get footage of somebody having a full blown conversation with a spirit vocally, like physically. It's very rare. Right. And most stuff that they capture today is like never full blown sentences or, you know, like you were saying where they could literally have a full blown discussion. Like the, what they capture today from the most that I've seen is just a few words or, you know, usually just one or something like that. And so. they have to amplify it. It it's very rare that somebody hears it like loud and clear and a voice recorder picks it up and you can go back and play it at normal volume and it's it's like, I am Bill Wilkins. Like I've never heard a spirit announce their name. The only time the only other cases that I've seen where a name comes up of is if it's a demonic entity where, you know, they're actually You know, during an exorcism, they're being asked who they are and they're giving a name. But, like, how often is it that, you know, somebody is verbally given a name? And even with mediums, like, mediums are when they're communicating with spirits, it's not verbally, you know, it's not like there's verbal affirmation being heard from the spirit itself. It's all being done like telepathically almost, like it's done in a nonverbal way. So, this was very, I think this was a big, I think for a lot of people, like, wow, this must be real. But I think a majority of people were like, Really? You really believe this? Like because the, the sound that she makes and the voice of Bill Wilkins just to me sounds like pretty pretty natural and wouldn't be that hard to replicate at all. And another thing that these investigators noticed that when Bill was speaking through Janet and any other entity for most of the matter was they tended to use a lot of like childlike vocabulary. It's yeah. not like uh you know a mature person an you know, old man's language yeah. like an old man who lived a long time ago would probably have a different language from janet right right and the humor this is the best part of it is the humor <laughs> like he would literally like crack jokes like bill would crack jokes when they were communicating at one point maurice asked bill why he was shaking janet's bed at night and he replied oh i was sleeping there like that sounds like a child response. Like I'm sorry. Like it's just, right? and then he'd be like, Maurice would be, why do you keep shaking it? And Bill would reply, get Janet out, get Janet out. Like it just to me sounds like some Scooby Doo shit. If you ask me, like this, like unfortunately the story takes a turn for Scooby Doo uh, <laughs> adventures. Like yeah. I'm sorry. Like it's just, uh, yeah, no, I know. What you if mean. you're a believer, I I understand, but. At the same time, I'm just like this. Just really does it for me right here. The the Bill Wilkins part, because he's literally laughing like he's lit- The like when you listen to him and there's hours of this audio recordings too. Like you could listen to this for a long, long time. And like I don't know. I mean, unless unless here, unless the Bill Wilkins spirit or whatever this you know entity is has to use in order to communicate through Janet, he has to use words that Janet would know. But that's the thing is Janet wouldn't know all of the curse words and all of the horrible language that was used with it. So it's, it's, I don't know to me, it almost feels like this is a coached type of thing. Like it's like a Marie says, this is what (laughs) you say. You respond, put it on tape. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's real. Who knows? When Maurice asked Bill if it was just him and Joe's spirit that dwelled in the Hodgson house, he said no, and confirmed that there were 10 spirits in total inside the house. Maurice asked Bill, what happened to you, man? And he explained that he went blind, had a hemorrhage, and died on a chair downstairs in the house. Months later, Maurice was contacted by a man by the name of Terry Wilkins, and Terry's father, Bill, had actually lived in the Hodgson's home prior to the Hodgson family. So okay, maybe, you know, from, from this, it sounds like, you know, it was like, oh, it just so happened that Terry, you know, reached out and, oh yeah, my daddy died there, and like, it's just, I don't know, seems too convenient to me. Because Terry confirmed that his father, Bill, died of a hemorrhage and died in his favorite chair on the first floor of the Hodgson home. But as time went on and over the next couple weeks, the voices from Janet continued and it was like multiple people were trying to share the same microphone because the voices continued to tell the investigators that they would not leave the house. On December 14th, it was both the date of Jan's first period and a day on which two passerbyers would describe seeing events that defied belief. When the baker's roundsman who delivered bread next door was coming down the street, he heard a tremendous commotion inside the Hodgson house. He looked up and saw that the curtains had been pulled across the window, and he said he saw Janet floating around the room in a horizontal position, followed by some books and toys hovering around her. But at the same time across the street, there was a lady named Hazel Short who also saw Janet levitating, lying flat on her back midair, and saw that she was floating up and down in front of the bedroom window. Janet later recalled in an interview that she thought she might have gone through the window as her head kept hitting it, and it was a very terrifying experience. But how credible is that testimony? Because, I mean, we're talking about two people who said they saw this and there's no proof. I mean, there's no pictures, there's no video. For all we know, could just be, you know, maybe maybe Janet's just hanging from the, the light in the room upside down like a monkey or something. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, who knows yeah. at this point? I mean, who knows what they're doing? For all we know, Maurice is like, holding her in the air, like, <laughs> like raising her above his head and like hiding below the thing to create. I mean, we don't know. I mean, who maybe she was levitating. Maybe she was. It's like, they were just waiting for people to pass by on the sidewalk. And yeah. Maurice is like, okay, Janet, get ready. All right, ready. you <laughs> Q three, two, uh, one dying. action. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Janet's just like flailing in the air. Oh Maurice is God. underneath it. Like I got you. I got you. Right. All right, go down. Duck, duck, duck. And the neighbors just... Ha- they like wait for the neighbors to just be happen to be looking out the window. And they're like, <laughs> all right, here we go. Let's start it up. I mean, that's just like... That's just how, how I see it. But maybe she was levitating. Who knows? One night, Janet claimed that while she was asleep, she began to feel herself rising up off of her bed. She ended up floating up to the bedroom ceiling. And then she felt herself pass through the ceiling and into the Nottingham's bedroom next door. Oh, boy. Hopefully, there wasn't anything going on there. And when Janet opened her eyes... She was back in her bedroom. But she was convinced that what just happened was not a dream. I mean, for all we know, maybe Jan's just having some crazy fucking like lucid dreams or something. Maybe there's some some other explanation for this, because man, this is just wild. But what's interesting is that Janet would often wake up with bruises around her neck and even scratches all over her body, you know, like you see in other paranormal cases and stuff. So do we have a picture? That's none that I can find. <laughs> Where's the picture, man? You got two investigators. You got fucking news reporters in there. cameras all over BBC the BBC radio fours in there and we <laughs> yeah. don't have a single fucking photo of her injuries. That's 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 a problem. That's a major problem, right? Right. Because you're literally just having to take their word for it. Right. Basically. Could just be Maurice again, <laughs> Yeah. I could. which this Maurice guy, man you listen to this guy talk about this stuff and you're just like, dude, what were you trying to make? Were you trying to get into Hollywood? Were you trying to <laughs> yeah. do man? Because like seriously, the it's hilarious. I think there's a clip of him on like uh, there's a YouTube clip. I think of Maurice talking about this whole thing and like he talks about it for like five minutes and then he like moves on to another case and just the way he explains it just um, instills a ton of confidence in his abilities as a paranormal <laughs> investigator. I mean, the first thing he starts out with is like, I quit college to go hunt monsters and ghosts or something like just the way he says, I'm like no legitimate paranormal investigator would ever say something like that. But maybe he's the greatest ghost hunter of all time. I mean, we don't know. Maybe he is. But one time late in December, Peggy was watching Janet sleep when she saw her nightgown rise up and twist around her neck. That to me seems like photo op time, right? Like let's yep. get a photo. Of that. That's crazy. Like where's the evidence for that? And life threatening, it seems like, yeah. you know, well, then they say they'd have random fires in their house, like the shit would just light on fire. They'd see smoke just rising up from, you know, off their furniture or something. And they'd be like, that smells like something's burning, but we can't see anything burning. And that's the thing with it is it's like smells, you know, is like the hardest thing to pr- how do you prove a smell? No way to capture. You it. can't capture a smell so we just got to take your word for it when the burning smell became overpowering though peggy ran out of the kitchen and asked guy to investigate but he never found the source of the fire and nothing seemed burnt yet the house continued to stink of smoke peggy would continue to find random puddles of water in places that water shouldn't be able to reach in the house and at night janet began to see people walking through the house when she was in bed she would see someone pass through the doorway peering in at her And one particular entity seemed to appear to Janet more than the others. The figure wore brown trousers and a raggedy torn shirt. It had long curling yellow fingernails and it walked with a limp. Like it was some kind of leg brace on it. The crooked man. That's what it is, man. And when Janet told Margaret about this particular figure, she surprisingly said that she could see him too. So maybe this is Bill, man. Maybe this is uh, the apparition of Bill that they're seeing. Janet Margaret also claimed to have seen an apparition of a young child around the same age of their youngest brother, Billy, floating in the air, wearing a white nightgown, looking lost. The sisters could see shadowy figures in the corners of the house, as it seemed they did not have enough energy to present themselves completely. Finally, finally, in the summer of 1978, Janet begged her mother to move out of the house. At this point, the poltergeist had been torturing her and the rest of the family for nine months, and nothing was getting better. Peggy finally broke down and thought, okay, you know what? Janet's been through enough. She's been tormented for nine months. Nine months is long enough, and we're not going to move out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Janet. Yeah, it's not like- ready to move. So <laughs> damn, that sucks for Janet. I get it's bad, but it ain't bad enough yet. We ain't moving out. But Peggy was, I don't know how Peggy's still dealing with this shit. Like, I don't know how she's still living in this house at this point. But she's still looking for answers. She's looking for anybody that can help give her some idea of what's going on inside of her house. So she continued to look for more psychics to help her investigate. Well, one thing that is true about this case is that this did Uh, Garner some headlines over in the UK. I guess it kind of broke some headlines worldwide. Even they called it strange happenings in Enfield. So this was reported about. There was this is definitely real as far as you know this being reported as a a haunting, as poltergeist activity. This is all real, and it did attract the attention of none other than world-renowned demonologist Ed Warren and clairvoyant Lorraine Warren. Because they decided to go check this out for themselves, they probably read about it in the newspaper. and They're like, "Damn, Lorraine, we need to get over there and take a look at this. This sounds like some crazy ass shit." Well, they probably didn't say it like that because you know they were practicing Catholics, but they did want to go check it out. So they just decided to show up at the Hodgson house uninvited, uh, out of nowhere. And uh, I, I mean, you're not going to turn the Warrens away if they show up at your your door and you know you're dealing with some paranormal activity. So Peggy was like, "Please come on in and take a look for a while." So the Warrens actually ended up interviewing Janet, and there's some audio clips that we'll play for you now. That is uh, some evidence of their conversation. So let's let's play that. What are you soldier, I'm soldier, soldier, yeah. What kind of soldier? That. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> you not I'm get so started way way way. I put my face when the men were in here. Well, crazy, I swear, I put <laughs> <as well. laughs> it in the sweat What's wrong? How are you feeling, Fred? Uh, I'm me Somebody kicked me out of the Somebody kicked me out So after interviewing Janet, Ed and Lorraine Warren were convinced that the activity happening in the Hodgson house definitely had supernatural explanation to it, but they were unable to stop any of the activity that was going on because they believed that this was some type of evil, potentially demonic activity, and it would require a priest to come in uh, and perform a cleansing. So at the Warren's recommendation, Peggy ended up having a local Catholic priest come to her home and perform a cleansing. And after the cleansing, it seemed like the poltergeist activity disappeared as quickly as it showed up in the house. And a few weeks later, on July 5th, Janet was admitted to Maudsley Hospital for extensive psychiatric testing. Which, why the hell did this take so long to get her some psychiatric testing? Because, clearly, this should have been done, like, a week or two into this. Like, it took this long? To maybe say, hmm, maybe maybe there's something mentally going on with Janet. But they did every test known to man on Janet. They prodded her all over, also took scans of her brain waves, but all the results came back completely normal. After two months of being in the Maudsley Hospital, Janet finally came home. And when she did, she was completely healthy and had no signs of Tourette's, epilepsy, or any other type of illness. And crazy enough, upon her return to the house, the poltergeist activity inside was completely gone. So that's interesting that, you know, she comes home from the hospital and seemingly the poltergeist activity stops. Again, there was the cleansing from the local priest. So maybe that played into uh, the poltergeist activity, definitely could have. Uh, but I think the hospital stay may play a lot more into it than I think uh, a lot of people want to admit. But years later, Janet and Margaret have admitted to playing with a Ouija board shortly before all of this poltergeist activity actually began in the house, uh, which is uh, not super surprising. I mean, a lot of people do have have this type of thing happen after they do play around with a Ouija board. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing with a Ouija board, you definitely can get yourself into uh a situation like this uh for sure because i mean you're dealing with i mean if you believe in the power of the ouija board you can definitely conjure some things and make communication with spirits that you don't necessarily want to and i don't know why they market the ouija board as a toy like it's literally marketed as a toy it's like a game it's in the game section you can get your fucking battleship and then do some ouija (laughs) board afterwards you know that's a fun game night family game night let's conjure up some dark (laughs) spirits and play hungry hippos or something like i don't get that does anyone else understand why it's considered a board game like I, i don't get that at all it doesn't seem like a game at all i mean if it's real it does have this ability to you know conjure spirits or communicate with spirits why the hell would they put that in the kid game section I mean, there's a lot of people that say they've experimented with Ouija boards as kids because for that very reason. So I find that really, really weird unless there's, that's just all bullshit and they don't do anything at all. And you know, it's all sort of just a fabric of our imagination, but it seems like a lot of people, I mean, there's endless videos on YouTube about people who have crazy things happen, uh, as a result of, uh, using the Ouija board. So I don't know, maybe I need to whip out the Ouija board for an episode and, uh, give it a whirl and see see what happens because i don't know i don't really want to do that because i kind of already feel like this this uh this area that we're in right now the studio is potentially inhabited by something uh not evil per se but something something's definitely happened in here before but maybe i should try to communicate with it sometime i don't know let me know do you want to see a ouija board episode maybe we could do something like that i'd be definitely interested to do that and i want to say the ouija board is like the main problem I mean, I think it's a tool, obviously, that you can use to communicate with right. the dead or spirits and stuff like that. And it's it's just important to always remember there is a, a very specific, correct way to use the board. And most children or people who don't have any experience with it do not know how to use it properly. Therefore, they somehow leave a portal open after they, they're done using it and don't realize that that portal's still open. So... Yeah, I feel like that happens a lot in yeah. cases. Yeah, definitely. Either that or they unknowingly like unknowingly invite an entity or a spirit in that just straight up tricks them. Makes them think that, oh yeah, I'm here to, to chit chat with you and try to, you know, communicate, but on the other hand, I'm here to fuck shit up yeah. and, and haunt you for a while. So yeah, I don't know. It's definitely a, an interesting tool for sure. And uh I don't know, it kind of makes a lot of sense that they did admit to, to using one shortly before all this happened. So maybe that, maybe Bill or Fred or whatever this old man was, this, this old man entity or poltergeist uh, came through as a result of uh, this use of the Ouija board. But as far as we know, Janet and Margaret eventually moved out of the house, eventually, my God, it took long enough, and they went on to live normal lives. Peggy, however, continued to live in the house until her death in 2003. And after she died, Claire Bennett, another single mother who had four children, moved into the Enfield house. And Claire never personally saw any entities manifest inside the house, but she often felt like something was watching her. Her children, on the other hand, did experience some paranormal activity. They'd sometimes wake up in the middle of the night hearing people talking downstairs or unusual noises throughout the house. Claire then found out about the history of the house two weeks after moving in and immediately began making preparations to move out. That night, her youngest son saw an old man walk into his room before disappearing. The Bennett family then moved out of the house the following morning. Wow, they, they they figured that out real quick. Get the hell out of there. And the house is currently occupied by another family who do not wish to be identified. And in the years since the case has ended, nobody has changed their account of what happened, even though some were offered money by the press to do so. Janet has been interviewed multiple times over the years, and she continues to stick to her story and still believes that whatever happened to her and her family was real and she has been quoted as saying it lived off me off my energy call me mad if you like these events did happen the poltergeist was with me and i feel that in a sense it will always be with me and still to this day the infield poltergeist case remains one of the uk's most famous hauntings a lot of people like to go visit the infield house although you can't go into it cuz it's you know somebody lives there now And even though there's extensive criticism surrounding it, uh, I guess it's never officially been fully debunked. Uh, I think that would be a very debatable statement. I think a lot of people would say this story's been debunked. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it it is her experience. It's Janet's experience. And whether or not this was a result of a poltergeist or maybe a mental illness or something like that, I mean, we don't have any proof of a mental illness because she did go to the hospital. Everything checked out so maybe maybe it was i mean it seemed like everybody saw this old man so maybe there was this old man you know that was inhabiting the house uh and maybe came through the ouija board or i don't know maybe he's always been there and just something about having these young children there that he was feeding off of and you know he died of a hemorrhage in his chair and i don't know maybe it was a a horrible end and you know a lot of people think that some of these poltergeists or, you know, paranormal activity is a result of a almost like an imprint of somebody's death. If somebody dies in a horrific way, then they kind of leave an imprint as they cross over to the other side. And this, you know, kind of creates this spirit that stays behind that sort of replays this, you know, the rage and the, you know, the anguish of, of the death over and over again in the form of uh, a spirit or a poltergeist. So, I don't know. There's a lot of different theories about this one. I mean, again, there's a lot of people that, that do think this was a hoax. A lot of people think that this was done for fame. Obviously it did get made into a, a horror film in the conjuring Two, which I mean, we don't know the, the financials behind the movie. I mean, they do. The Hodgson's do appear in featurette clips of the, the movie itself. So I have to assume that they were paid to, to actually talk about their stories and stuff. And I mean, if you watch those, Janet does seem, I don't know, I by just reading her and kind of like feeling her vibes and energy, I kind of get a feeling like, hmm, she, she might be, you know, they might have em, embellished this a little bit. I mean, let's go back to the evidence, right? Let's go back to the photos. The photos are questionable. I didn't see anything that didn't look easily explainable. And yet there was all this paranormal activity and there's these investigators in the home for months and months and months i think like nine to 18 months there is people inside of the home different investigators sidekicks so there's a lot of coverage of this and what do we have to show for it at the end of the day either these guys are the world's worst investigators and they literally sucked at their job they didn't know how to capture anything other than these audio recordings a couple pictures or this was an elaborate fucking hoax that is pretty obvious, you know. Like they they clearly set all this up. The voices is all fake. That you know everything was faked. It was all planned to hopefully try and get a movie deal or a book deal or you know make some money off of this in some way. But I mean, who really knows? This did get so much media coverage that Janet was interviewed on TV, and there's been a couple slip ups where you know they were talking about disembodied voices being heard and you know janet ends up saying literally it's not haunted uh when asked how does it feel to be haunted by a poltergeist and they have margaret saying shut up i mean a lot of people look at that as just like this is so obvious that this is just fake i mean they fake the whole thing they're all in on it i mean even in the photos i'm like they look like they're literally acting for the camera there It just doesn't seem natural, like natural human faces wouldn't wouldn't look like that in that type of situation. Like, I would think eyes would be wide open, mouth open, jaw dropped, like, oh, my God, my sister's levitating in the air. Instead, they're like, oh, close my eyes, cover my eyes with my hand. And then the (laughs) the ability is just like, (laughs) like, (laughs) I don't know. I'm probably being too critical about it. But at the end of the day, we don't know. We just don't know with this one. I, I think it could go either way. I think it just depends on on what you believe too. So, so at the end of the day, Josh, do you think the infield poltergeist was a hoax, or do you think this story, in fact, was true? At the end of the day, I mean, I'm a pretty logical person, and for me to really fully believe something is real, I need some decent evidence, and you know, some decent something. You know, like the audio recordings was. I guess some evidence, but it's easily replicated. It's easily, you can easily make those sounds. And it did kind of sound like Janet was just saying, you know, the things that she was supposed to say. But again, at the end of the day, I think the fact that Bill, you know, if Bill Wilkins really did live there and he did die there that, yeah, I mean, there is a possibility. I mean, at the end of the day, there could be a possibility for both to exist, right? Where there is some unexplained paranormal activity going on. Maybe Bill is a spirit that, Uh, Dwells there, and you know, they did experience some things, but then maybe they just embellished so many other things to make it way worse than it really was and really make it scary because they were trying to, you know, get a movie deal, get a book deal, make some money off of it. uh, Because somebody approached them was like, Hey, you know, these investigators came in, they're like, Hey, we'll help you investigate. And they're like, Okay, there's some knocking on the walls. Okay, that's kind of weird. Well, hey, guys, here's a plan. Let's, let's if we can do this big long investigation and say all this crazy shit happened and get the media to pick up on it then we can possibly you know get get some recognition for it and you know and maybe it was just the investigators ideas like they wanted to do it for their own personal gain i mean who really knows who would want to be ridiculed by the public who would want to like put themselves in that place where everybody thinks you're crazy. Everybody thinks you're just making this up. This is just a giant hoax. I mean, who would want to go through that? Who would put that, who would put that on themselves in order to what, as far as we know, they've never benefited monetarily off of, off of this case or, or anything that happened. I mean, it's not like they were paid actors getting paid by somebody. We don't know that. So I don't know. I'm really torn with it. I think there's a possibility. There was some unexplained activity here. Uh, poltergeist. I don't know, but I think, at the end of the day, I think it just kind of got blown out. And I think, you know, somebody, somebody involved with this kind of took this from a legitimate case to a, a a not so legitimate case, unfortunately. And maybe there's some, I think there could be some mental uh, issues there with, with Janet too. I think there's definitely some things we don't know about her and her background and her medical history that uh, could help explain some of this too. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm open to all of it, but I definitely leaning more skeptical. What about you? Yeah, I agree with everything you've been saying. And, you know, at the end of the day for me, I think the Enfield poltergeist is a hoax. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I think a lot of people would agree with you too. I mean, definitely let us know Uh, with that being said, that's the end of the Enfield poltergeist, the strange happenings in Enfield. Let us know if you think this is a hoax or if you really think that this is all true, that this was, the most intense haunting that the uk has ever ever had uh definitely let us know i'd be interested to hear your thoughts and opinions on this but that will end it for lights out today hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and we will be back next week with another bone chilling episode but until next time lights out everybody